Yeah, mine's not a paranormal like I thought it was going to be. Because I like found the location. Because they're like haunting. They meant haunting, not paranormal. Like haunting, like haunting as haunting an upsetting. Yeah. Um, and like, I was It'll like, oh. Because they like started with the story. And I was like, oh, I can add that story to it to like mm-hmm. beef up you know the haunting because the haunting is yeah. usually a little bit less right and then i went through and got to the actual haunting part i should have read the whole thing but i never do that um, well mine's a twofer so mine was trying to be and didn't achieve it who goes i don't think it matters Mm-mm. i don't think we're in any pattern on accident yet is yours just like a downer a little bit okay then you should go for accidentally <laughs> the story mine is, is and it. isn't well yours it is better than mine then <laughs> Um, so I was going to cover the Battery Park Hotel because I thought it was haunted, but it said it was a um, vocabulary issue of they used haunting to mean terrible and upsetting instead <laughs> of paranormal. And I never bothered to read an entire paragraph <laughs> when it says like things in my area that might be spooky wooky, you know, Yeah. and I'm getting my ideas. Um, so my sources are Wikipedia, the Asheville Times. In the Asheville Citizen Times. Love, love me and my newspapers. <laughs> um, so I might as well give you the history of the Battery Park Hotel because I wrote it up. And the thing that we're going to talk about happened there. So yeah. you might as well know. Because um, it sort of adds to the story, I guess. So the Battery Park Hotel is located in Asheville, North Carolina. It was originally built in 1886. So there's like two iterations and I can't figure out if they were built on top of each other or if they're built like next to each other or what's happening. But there's this original hotel built in 1886. Um, it was the first hotel in the South with an electric elevator and one of the first with electric lighting. Um, Asheville was one of the many places that people from cities escaped to for fresh mountain air to treat, you know, their tuberculosis and other such illnesses. <laughs> Um, and this hotel in particular attracted the likes of the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, and the Lorillards. I don't know that family, but they have a Wikipedia page, so they got to be included. They're like a tobacco plantation kind of people, um, versus like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers, you know. Um, the, one of the Vanderbilt things, like George Washington Vanderbilt the third or something like that. I know George Washington is right. I don't know what number Mm -hmm. it is. Um, he stayed in that hotel and like whatever room it was over, like he had was overlooking like a lot basically. And Mm -hmm. he liked it so much that he bought it and built a mansion there. (laughs) That's just a side fun fact. Um, so in 1922, they announced they were building a second battery park hotel. Um, as like the original one was just wasn't big enough. There's new technological advances they wanted to add. It was sort of unpractical to do in the old building. Um, so I think they tore down the original and built a new one there, but I'm still not sure. It was very unclear. Yeah. And since, um, it's no longer a hotel, it doesn't have like its fun hotel history on the website. So it was, the new hotel had 220 rooms, um, and it closed in 1972 and was converted into section eight housing apartments, primarily focusing on senior living, which is why there's no, um, like good history page yeah. provided by the building itself. Nobody cares about the senior home. No, they don't. <laughs> they usually like to forget they exist, especially when they're the Section 8 ones. Um, so now I'm going to tell you the story of Helen Clevenger, and honestly, it should also be the story of Martin Moore, because 
he honestly I might even get a shorter end of the stick than she did. So Helen was born on the 4th of November, 1917 in Washington, D.C., where her father was working as a, this is a new word, pharmacognosy. He was working at a pharmacognosy laboratory in the Department of Chemistry under the USDA. It's like specifically focusing on certain medications or something like that. I tried to look it up and still didn't understand how it was different than just any other pharmaceutical stuff. Um, And it could just be it was an old timey word. I don't know. That's not a field I know. (laughs) Anyway, her father also made a map of the travels of Bab and Baha Ula. I apologize for saying that wrong, which were the founders of the Baha'i faith. Um, What? Yeah, wild, right? This has nothing to do with anything else later. It was just really, really weird. Um, And, like, the map was so good that it was included in the Baha'i world, which was, um, I think it's either a book, and this was the second volume of the book for the religion, Uh or it was, like, a magazine that came out every so often i don't know which one it was i didn't bother to look um either way anything that went in there had to be approved by like the head of the religion um so like it was apparently a good map (laughs) um anyway this religion again not important to the story but weird and interesting it was founded in the 1800s and it teaches the essential worth of all religions and calls for the unity of all peoples and it's sort of like is is a way of um describing how religion is all just truly getting down to this one thing this one thing is you all believe in something the singular thing yeah um and it's like oh all of these different versions of gods are actually all just like different faces of this it's technically a monotheistic religion that accepts um found a way to like encompass everything if it wanted to Mm -hmm. and that was fun and weird (laughs) anyway so that's her brief younghood um oh this shouldn't go here that's what's confusing me we're not done with her brief younghood i just have an entire point in the wrong spot anyway so eventually her family moved to staten island new york um she was raised in this faith that wasn't just her dad that was the whole family practiced it um she graduated from totenville high school in 1934 um she was a member of the Honor Society. She was editor-in-chief of the high school paper, and she was valedictorian, so she was good at school. Um, she received a scholarship to attend New York University, where she was going to study chemistry, which is, I assume, a pretty decent feat for a woman in the 1930s. Time, yeah. um, so in the summer of 1936, she was down in North Carolina. I guess she was, like, touring around... Um, I guess the pretty parts of the state because her uncle taught at um, the state college in Raleigh, which I think is like North Carolina State University. Whatever it's what whatever university is located in Raleigh, that's I think yeah. is the same institution. Um, but I couldn't figure it out because technically it was never called the state college because it was I think always a university. Um, anyway, so she's down there for this on July sixteenth. 1936 at 8:30 a.m. Helen, dressed in a green striped pajamas, was found dead in what was then room 224 in Battery Park Hotel. Um, her uncle, who she was traveling with, W.L. Clevenger, um, was the one who found her. 
She had been stabbed four times in the face. Um, some of these, like, puncture slash slash marks were really shallow, like, just cut the surface. But then another one was, like, so deep it went pe- penetrated three inches into her face and, like, the impact broke her nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and my immediate thought upon hearing that description was, oh, someone bashed her in the face with a broken bottle. You know, like, you have that one jagged piece yeah, that maybe. sticks out and you, like, really slam it in. Um, so that's, like, my suspicion from the beginning of reading this article. This is all a news article, by the yeah. way. This is not, like, a Wikipedia's <laughs> combined efforts. This is straight from... I don't know if that's considered a primary source or a secondary source when it's a newspaper. <laughs> I don't remember anymore. Um, she was also shot in the chest with what they thought at the time was a twenty-five caliber pistol, pistol um, and it was held so close to her that it left powder marks on her chest. Yeah. Um, this uh, bullet wound was in the upper left side of her body, and it passed through her left lung, causing internal hemorrhaging, and that was what ended up killing her, was mm-hmm. internal bleeding like that. Um, the bullet did not exit the body. It lodged near her spine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of weird since you're shooting it that close. They didn't go that well because it was a little teeny tiny. That's true. If if I remember my gun calibers right, it was not a very big. I know, but you would still think there'd be enough force to right. I think it sort of might go have gotten lodged <coughs> in the bone. It might have bounced spine around or, or something. I don't know what it was. This is the olden times, so we might never know. They may have ever, like, bothered to figure that out. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. All they knew was the girl was dead. Yeah. Um, investigators found neither weapon in the room. She was found lying on her back in the bathroom in a position that indicated she had been on her knees when she was shot. So I assume mm. she was, like, that meant her, like, her legs were, like, splayed to the side awkwardly. Um, she, her watch was laying on the side table next to her bed where a small lampshade was also setting from, like, the lamp that was like yeah. you know like the lamps that are next to beds and hotels the lampshade was sitting there weird um it is it's weird and it's notable oh maybe it's a maintenance man um came into she a light bulb. indicated okay wait hold on where to go also next the chair next to that um nightstand had two like bloody streaks on it which could have possibly been from like her bloody fingerprints like maybe she was like hit in the face there and then like went to the bathroom or something like that that's indicating something happened over there, and it's unlikely Weird. the guy or the girl, whoever did it. We don't know. I'm assuming it's a man because it's a woman. Um, <laughs> so the lampshade appeared to have been placed there, not like it got knocked askew, um, because the light bulb seemed to have been unscrewed to make the room dark purposely. Yeah. Like, that way you can't turn the light on. Um, Is that the only light in the room? Or was know. he, like, hiding in that corner? I have no clue. It could have been either. Okay. That, like, that's... That way, when she turned yeah. in, the lights was off and he was already in there. Um, that I'm not sure. They'd never even bother to really address it. Um, so, during that early morning, when they think this all went down, there was a raging thunderstorm. That's worth noting. Like, it was a storm storm. Like, so oh, me, oh, my. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be louder outside. Um, but it also means more people are going to be awake. Yeah. people wake up to storms. So E.B. Pittman, who was staying in the room directly across from her, said he heard a woman screaming several times in quick succession around 1 a.m. that day. Or night. <laughs> um, he had been up brushing his teeth at the time, so he glanced into the hallway um, and saw a man standing in front of the open door of room 224. 
Um, the door was open about a third of the way and it was completely dark inside, which is sort of why they're mentioning this light bulb not being on because like there's, and like why the room is dark. It's because they have this eyewitness account of it being mm-hmm. dark in there. Um, so Pittman commented to the man saying, I wonder what that noise was. Like, yeah, that's what you do when you're at a hotel and you have a like, and everyone else is like, like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what I heard? Um, and he got no reply to that question. So then he followed up with, it sounds like someone in pain, in which the other man replied, that's what I was wondering myself. So Pittman went back into his room, went to bed because no one else seemed to be that alarmed. And it had stopped. Um, and it had stopped. Like, you know, like maybe she fell and it was screaming because it hurt. Who knows? Nobody knows. <laughs> um, he did not report hearing a gunshot. So the person staying in the room directly below 224 was also reported a woman screaming um, at 1 a.m. And they phoned the front desk about it. Um, they sent someone up, but they reported nothing seemed off. I assume they knocked on the door and they might have gotten, like, a pleasant response from somebody and nobody... Yeah, what do they mean? Saw nothing, nothing in the hallway. Off. Well, like, they're not going to open up everybody's doors. Well, yeah, but if you're <laughs> saying, like, I think somebody right in the room above me is screaming bloody murder. Well, yeah, but if they're not doing it anymore and you knock on the door and someone's still in there and they... They're like, oh, we're fine. Something I'd be fell. like, okay, then let me see. But they don't normally do that because a lot of the times no one's getting murdered, Audrey. <laughs> okay, but a lot of the times they are. <laughs> Especially in hotels. Yes. Um, so at least two people witnessed a man sprint through the lobby and run out into the storm, hopping the rail to the side. You know, like, as I assume, there went, like, stairs directly down to the sidewalk. Yeah. Those, those were the stairs and not to the side. Like, he hopped that rail down to the sidewalk and sped off into the storm. Around the same time this is happening, which oh, yeah, means a lot of people saw the murderer. Um, so in the paper the next day, which is me reading the paper the next day. Yeah. Um, so now we're doing another article so that we have no- more information. Um, a hotel guest, A.L. Curtis, staying in room 326, said that he and an associate were discussing... Oh, 327 said he and an associate were discussing work when they heard what sounded like someone being hit with a bottle, which is funny because I had not read this yet when I thought the bottle for the other thing. I was like, okay, yeah. so someone else is also thinking bottle. Um, followed that just by, tells you how much people were getting hit with bottles back in the day. Right. Because <laughs> I would never be like, yeah, it really sounds like somebody just like, got hit with a glass bottle, unless it's like the shatter over your mm-hmm. head thing, but... Followed by four to five screams and groans, um, and there was a shot, and this happened all around 1.50 a.m. Why they didn't they do didn't anything about anything? that, don't know. Maybe like, they were doing... mind my business. Like, they might have been doing shady Illegal. business, and that's why they weren't going to call anybody. Discussing work at one in the morning? Really interesting. Um, so, I would consider this a purposefully unsolved crime. Yeah. Um, but technically, it's a... They have a murderer... Um, who was just five months later executed, which is way too quick. That's a real quick. So the person that they convicted for this murder was 22-year-old Martin Moore, a black man who worked at the hotel for three years as a janitor and was considered an exemplary employee. So during Martin's trial, the hotel manager even said that Martin had never had a complaint about him. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, so like on the record in the court space, it's like, yeah, no, he's like a good kid. Um... So I'm going to read you the statement that Martin was forced to sign. Mm -hmm. That's, like, pretty well known that he was forced to sign this, even though all this went through anyway. So 
It says, so when I entered the room, she said, what do you want? I told her I opened the door. I did not know she was in there. I looked at her and she said, I'm going to scream. I told her not to. So she screamed once. I closed the door with him inside. It's what that's implying in this. Um, She said, you better get out of here or I'll call the office. I was standing close to her and shot her before she could go back and I hit her with the butt as in of the gun. Yeah. Um, She fell on her knees. She screamed again. I hit her again. She screamed again. I hit her twice. And this is the signed confession of what happened. So he's working at the hotel. Why does he have a gun on him? Because he wants to murder people. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't read what the court was arguing one way or the other. But this isn't even matching what is known to happen from the evidence. No, he was screaming Uh, and then a shot. Thank you very much. Yeah, screaming's first. Multiple screams is first. Mm -hmm. Then the shot. And um, also, the butt of a gun does not cause stab wounds. Your skin well, like, that it way. can, but not like... It can like, break the skin, yeah. but it's not going to... Yeah, it doesn't no. kind of stab wounds. So no. none of this is matching what even happened evidence-wise. Man, police are so dumb. Um, And, like, there's some interviews that happened after he was, like, in jail. And he was like, yeah, here's what happened with the police. Like, I went in there. They handed me a half-written one and told me to finish it. And that's why the it what he finished was wrong, because he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know what happened. Because he literally didn't know what happened. Like, they, they, there's a whole article talking about how he never, and this article's, like, written years later after he was long dead, um, how, like, he literally did not know basically what happened until he was in the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, he just knew something bad happened. So, the, the guy even had an alibi. He had been at a party, if, yeah, at a party at a friend's house that night where he ended up just staying to sleep because it got too late, um, and he left just before two in the morning and went home so he's at this house with other people knowing he's at that house during the entire during time, the that, entire it's time that it's happening um he goes to work the next morning at 8 a.m his shifts end at noon he goes home well he doesn't go home he goes over to his grandmother's house where one of his co-workers also lived um this co-worker was lem roddy um, Lem handed Martin when he got there a 32 caliber Spanish automatic pistol with a stain on it that he had borrowed from Martin a few days earlier. So a Martin did own it. a gun, but Martin did not have the gun in his possession when the murder happened. And it's not even the same caliber. Um, well, that's why it's like they thought it was a 21. It could have been a 32. I don't know yet. I don't think they had done an necessary autopsy at the first anything. And this is all years later that I'm telling you all this information. So mm-hmm. this is the first set of information was the day of and the day after everything happened. This set of information is like from like 1990. I didn't bother to read it anything in between because I was trying to do a ghost story. I didn't mm-hmm. want to focus on this that long. <laughs> um, so Martin was initially interviewed briefly as all hotel staff was after the incident happened in case they saw anything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and at the beginning, authorities were focusing on finding a white man because that's what people because saw everybody running saw through, a white man. running, rushing out of the manager's office and through the lobby around 1 a.m. Remember well, and that he later. saw that guy standing in the doorway. Yeah, who we'll get there too. <laughs> so while they, in the beginning, they were holding three white men in jail, including Helen's uncle, which is absolutely reasonable. Yeah, um, I was going to say, where was he? It, he was originally suspected. So, after three weeks, they still hadn't made, made an arrest, and the public was growing antsy. So, they went back to some of the witnesses that originally said things. Uh-huh. So, they went back to Pittman, 
um, who, after the consistent urging of the sheriff, changed his story from being absolutely positive he saw a white man standing in that doorway to uh, maybe he had seen a black man. And it's important to know this is, like, peak segregation. Like, the the black employees could not use the front door. They all had to enter through the back. Um, 1936, I think. Yeah, sundown laws. Yeah. They decide, great, he owns the kind of gun we're looking for. We're going to pin it on him. Um, So they take him in. They say, you're guilty. We said so. They beat him up for 20 minutes until, um, and then tell him that, hey, if you confess, the judge will be lenient on you. Like, you'll just, it'll be a better sentence because you're not causing a problem for anyone anymore. Um, so Martin signs the confession. He faces an all-white jury. Of course. His attorney applies, he's found guilty. Um, his attorney applies for an appeal, but it was considered to be not properly perfected. What that means, I don't know. I assume it was a nonsense excuse. I think if you uh, yes, applied obviously. for an appeal, you've applied for an appeal, especially on a death sentence, like case, sentence uh-huh. case, you need to give them time then to fix it. You don't just get to kill, like, murder a guy. But he never gets, that never gets to go through and they kill him. I think I said five months after. Yeah. Five months after the murder, they kill an innocent man. Um, Can't trust the South, man. So the public seemed to be pretty split during the time, not necessarily 50-50, but like a sizable portion was like, we don't think it's him based on... They should have burned down the police station. It not being... And nothing matching, right? Yeah. Um, and then there was a rumor going around. This is what I think is the truth. 100% like... I mean, it was for sure I would put my man. money down on this, is that they think it was... The rumor was that the hotel manager's son yep. um, had borrowed Martin's gun from Lem and killed her, which would why... That tracks. Which is why it's important to note he ran out of the... Manager's office. Manager's office. Which means he went in there, was like, Daddy, Daddy, I did a bad thing. <laughs> Or the manager wasn't or he was even stashing in there, got things, some kind of thing, key, you whatever know. it was that he um, and then scoodled on out right away. I 100% think it was the manager's son that killed Helen and poor Barton got Ridiculous. the full face of American justice, which is trash. That, yep, exactly. That's that's the point of saying that. Well, I know. Um, so yeah, this was. Technically, there's, like, and sometimes people think they still hear Helen scream in the hotel is, like, the ghost story half of this, right? I thought it was going to be more than it was because it was a hotel. Yeah. But it goes along the theory of, like, if you're not a transient person in a space, like, hotels get so many more stories because people are already a little on edge because they're in a new space Mm -hmm. and it's a little scary to be in these new spaces, especially since they're not very secure. Um, Mm -hmm. They never really have been, hence poor Helen. Um, <laughs> and everybody else who's been murdered in a hotel. But um, people who live there are a lot more likely to be like, yep, we, we consistently now know that that sound that happens all the time is this thing. And so it's not... Yeah. Is it still an old person? Yes, it's still, it's still a Section 8 old people home. So just low-income, especially low-income elderly individuals. Yeah. And one... No one's in there interviewing them. No one's leaving us no. a review about what happened there when they lived there, about the ghost hauntings, right? That's not their priority of things to complain about in that space. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, if you don't have the right people in spaces, you're not going to get ghost stories unless it's a really, really weirdly apparent, like, paranormal thing happening. Anywho, a good story. So that's the unfortunate story of Helen and Martin. Yep. 
Both victims. Both victims. Okay, well, today I'm telling my story of the Biltmore estate. <laughs> I'm telling my story. Pause there a little bit. <laughs> so I got my information from Wikipedia, hauntedrooms.com, AshevilleTerrace.com, KKTV.com. FoxCarolina.com, TheHauntedPlaces.com, The Asheville Times, which is a newspaper, newspapers.com, CitizenTimes.com, WPDE.com, NorthCarolinaGhost.com, and BlueRidgeNow.com. Hey, Stretch Band of the Third. Or Second. Second. So, first That's the same the one that I was talking about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't say anything because I was waiting until I got to my story. So, we're on the history. So, in the 1880s, George Washington Vanderbilt II started making regular trips with his mother... I think her name was Maris. Maris. I'm just trying to. I just don't. That's probably I'm Maris. Just. That sounds um, like a Louisa rich old Kissam person name. Vanderbilt to the Asheville area where she was from, um, and he loved the scenery and climate so much that he decided to build a summer home somewhere in the area, which he called his quote "little mountain escape." Just keep that quote in your mind. Okay. Ugh, I hate rich people. So <laughs> he bought around 700 parcels of land, including over 50 farms and at least five cemeteries. What a kind individual. Um, and then I love this so much. A spokesperson for this estate said that it, it said in 2017 that archives show most of the land was in poor condition, and many of the farmers and other landowners were glad to sell. I don't, I don't believe you. Case. I think it's he just walked like up to when their door airports and said, "I'm buying this." And said, "I'm buying this." Here's your money. You're never gonna out. get a better deal. Yeah. Buy. Goodbye. It's like when airports buy land, and they're like, "Actually, guess what? You either leave or we're building the airport on you." Mm-hmm. So. I assume it's something like that. I hate the rich. And I love that it had to be addressed in 2017 because everybody's like, why don't you give this land back to the community or the rightful landowners? Yeah, it's like they probably, like, forcefully bought it from a yeah. whole bunch of, like, black farmers who had just managed to get their own little bit of land. And they're like, actually, no, I want it for my small mountain estate. <laughs> oh, my God, I hate it. Anyway, so construction on the house began in 1889. George hired Richard Morris Hunt as the main architect and wanted it to be done in a chateauesque style. And in order to facilitate this large project, a woodworking factory and brick kiln, which produced 32,000 bricks a day, were built on site. Um, A three-mile railroad spur was constructed to bring materials to the building site as well, because we just move mountains for rich people and do nothing for anybody else. Richard used French Renaissance Chateau as his inspiration. There's, like, all this stories about Richard and, and George held hands and skipped through all these places to get inspiration in these foreign <laughs> lands for this st- summer home of his. Um, so the four-story Indiana limestone-built house faces east with a 375-foot facade to fit into the mountain topography behind it. The facade is asymmetrically balanced with two projecting wings connecting to the entrance tower. It's really just a large house, and I'm about to skip half of this, even though I typed it out. They don't There's a winter it. garden, carriage house, um, stables. Yeah, the carriage house house. The carriage house stored his twenty carriages and any of his guest carriages as well. Who needs twenty carriages Rich in their people. vacation home? Don't even get me started on these people. So, well, I think it like started out as it was going to be like his summer home, but then I think like the end of just living yeah. there. Um, which I have that in here. I'm just. I think his plan was to have just a summer home at first. 
So construction of the main house required labor of about a thousand workers and 60 stone masons. That's too many for our house. Because <laughs> it's not a house. So George made trips overseas during construction to purchase decor because we all have that kind of money. He returned with thousands of items, including tapestries, hundreds of carpets, uh, prints, linens, and decorative objects dating back from the 15th century to the late 19th century. He only had a few American-made products. By the um, way, the late 19th century means <clears throat> modern items. He bought some new, cool modern items yeah. for him. Um, he only had a few American-made products, like an, an oak drop-front desk, rocking chairs, a walnut grand piano, which that's strange, and bronze candlesticks. Sorry if you hear Opry snoring. Uh, bronze candlesticks, candlesticks, Snicks. and a wicker waste basket, which that cracked me up because it's like, did he only buy one, one waste basket for the, the whole house? I think the idea is it's like um, Appalachian tradition, maybe. Maybe. And he like bought it from some local <laughs> weaver because that's like a weaving like, is a oh, big Appalachian tradition. I'm helping the community. Yeah. This is my um, locally made. Well, what's it called? <laughs> philanthropy? Yeah. Because that's still on the Vanderbilt's website, and that's why uh-huh. I did not include it in here. I said, you're literally in no way helping out American society or anybody, so you can shut up right now. Uh, he opened his estate on Christmas Eve, 1895, to friends and family from all across the U.S., but he kept the pores out just like in Gravity Falls. That makes sense. Um, so the mansion cost $5 million to construct, which is around $180 million today. Um, George married Edith Stud... Stuyvesant? Dresser in, in 1898 in Paris. And their only child, Cornelia, what's whatever Stuyvesant her name is, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, was born at the Biltmore in the Louis XV room in Louis the 14th, 1900, 15th. and grew up at the estate. I don't know Roman numerals, and I never will. Louis the 15th. So when Congress passed the laws or whatever it was for income tax, because that wasn't a thing yet, and the rich could just be rich and nothing mattered. Well, they still can. Yeah, that's true. They're all criminals. Um, George sold 87,000 acres of his land to the federal government, and they were like, it was only this much per acre, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you want me to feel bad for a rich person? Get out of here. Literally, no, don't not. ever talk to me again. I was like, I don't care. That's just, He should have sold the whole thing. Um, he unexpectedly died in 1914 from an emergency appendectomy, so Edith completed the sale. Karma got him. Uh, yes. She carried out George's wish that the land remain pristine. And but that... the pristine, the land was never pristine. He bought it in bad condition, I That's thought. That's what I thought was hilarious. I was like, oh, wait a minute. So things actually grow so in So actually it was beautiful, and that's why you took it? Correct. Um, and the property became the nucleus of the Pisca Pisca National Forest. Um, so here's a fun fact is that one week before the Titanic set sail, George canceled his plans for the family to take their trip on it and instead booked on the Olympic. Um, one of their servants, however, Edwin Wheeler, who was 24, was killed on that ship when it sank. He That's was a second class passenger on board because the Vanderbilt sent most of their luggage with him. Isn't that horrific? Poor guy. So, uh, what's her name? Edith. So Edith became overwhelmed with running the estate and began consolidating her interests and sold to Biltmore Estate Industries, which I think is like those factory buildings on the land. I wasn't sure. Really sure. Um, in 1917 and Biltmore Village in 1921, she occupied the house, living in an apartment in the former bachelor's wing until the marriage of her daughter to John Francis Amherst Cecil. 
in April 1924. They had two sons who were both born in the same room as their mother, um, which is like, why does that room become the birthing room? (laughs) It's weird to me. So to earn extra money during the Great Depression, Cornelia and her husband opened the Biltmore to the public in March 1930 at the request of the city of Asheville, which hoped to revitalize the area with tourism. It closed during World War II. They had a bunch of fancy paintings and whatever that got, like, moved around because they were scared of an attack on the U.S. and they wanted to save that. But I don't know. I don't know if it's still in the house now or not. I really didn't care too much. The Cecils got divorced in 1934 and Cornelia left and never came back to the estate, which is, like, really strange because John stayed and maintained the residence. Mm -hmm. And he also stayed in the bachelor's wing until his death in 1954. Which I'm still like, it's literally the home that your dad built and you're leaving it to your ex-husband? He built, like, <clears throat> like Mr. Darcy couldn't even afford to live here. No. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. That's why I said it's not a house. Have you that's also seen, like, the upsetting amount of land that was never developed around it? Because that's how much yeah. land he... Like, Asheville is circled around the estate. Yep. And it's a sizable... It's not like a little dot. It's no. like, oh. I'll get to how much it is yeah. in a second. So, where was I? So, their oldest son, George, occupied rooms in the wing until 1956. And at that point, the Biltmore stopped being a family home and was operated as a historic house museum. But, fun fact, it's not operated by anybody other than people that the Vanderbilts have hired because they still own it. So, they're making money from you visiting this place. So, don't visit it. They now have, like, a winery. They have some hotel stuff. They have, like, little bungalows things that you can stay in, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, God, I hate these people so much. Like... There's a lot of really fantastic buildings that I'd want to visit. This one just sort of makes me angry how Exactly. I know. I'm like, is it nice looking? Sure. But at the same time, let me think about the people who own it still to this day. Yeah, no thanks. I don't want to support you in any way, shape, or form. Like, I'd rather Click go... Click on their philanthropy. It makes me want to vomit. Uh, I think it's, like, our story. Oh, I see it. Yeah, disgusting. Let me learn about their philanthropy. There's nothing on it. There's literally nothing on it. You can continue, and I'll figure it out. I want to look now. So, the estate was designated a National Historic Landmark in 1963, and is still a big tourist attraction today, with around 1.4 million visitors every year. The house is assessed at $157.2 million. Uh, this is, like, just don't visit this place. No, Audrey, their philanthropy isn't, their community outreach philanthropy portion is just them maintaining the historic house and the lands around it that they own. Yes, and I don't think sold. it's a non-for-profit. I think it's just they're pretending maintaining the things they own is philanthropy. Correct. In that case, everyone is a philanthrop- philanthropist. Or, I'm Good just job. a socialite and a philanthropist. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> So, the, I'm just going to start telling what what oh, and what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a socialite and philanthropist. And then <laughs> and the, and nobody will ever talk to me again, and that's how oh I would like God, it to be. Oh, my so funny. Um, so, the house has four acres of floor space and 250 rooms. Hold on, what? You can four have acres, acres of, of floor, floor space? space? <laughs> I mean, if you got the money, apparently. That's why I said it's not a home. This is not a house. No, what? I don't even know what to call it. A mall? <laughs> Pretty What's much. What's that big? A stadium? 
It doesn't even have that much floor space. There's not even acre floor space in that. Um, including 35 bedrooms for family and guests, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, three kitchens, and 19th century novelties like an electric Otis elevator, forced air heating, central controlled clocks, fire alarms, and a call bell system. Um, the banquet hall is the largest room in the house and has barrel vaulted ceilings. The table in the room, which I kind of, I don't know, this seems small to me, could seat 64 guests. I'm like, I don't know, that doesn't that's seem little. like a humongous room. No, it's little. And is surrounded by rare Flemish tapestries and a triple fireplace. There's an organ gallery. There's a music room that wasn't completed until 1976, but now it's completed. There's a tapestry gallery that leads to the library, and the library contains over 10,000 volumes in eight different languages. Um, it also has a secret passageway that leads to the guest rooms. There's a four-story chandelier with 72 light bulbs. Uh, the fourth floor has 21 bedrooms, mostly for maids, laundresses, and other female servants. None of the men were allowed to be there. <laughs> um, there's also an observatory with doorways to the rooftop. Um, in the bachelor's wing, there is a billiard room. And there are also secret passageways here on both sides of the fireplace that led to private quarters where female guests and staff were not allowed. Um, the wing also had smoking rooms and the gun room. Oh, what a treat. So the basement had activity rooms and a 70,000 gallon heated swimming pool with underwater lighting, bowling alley, a gymnasium uh, with once state-of-the-art gym equipment, a kitchen, pastry kitchen, rotisserie kitchen, and a walk-in refrigerators, as well as the servants' dining hall, laundry rooms, and additional bedrooms for staff. This is the largest basement in the U.S., um, the home is the largest privately owned home in the U.S. That's actually, that's actually my all-time favorite um <laughs> quote is the largest, biggest, largest basement, biggest in, the basement in the u.s when anyone um, asks me about this house hey, did you know it has the largest basement in the u.s and i'll say nothing else about it um it's still also the largest privately owned home in the u.s at 178,200 or 926 square feet of floor space and 135,280 square feet of living area and sits on over 8,000 acres the property also has, I don't know why I said property like that, property. also has a conservatory <laughs> and it has park-like grounds. Oh, yeah. It's which eight, don't even get me started minimum, on these grounds. We'll get there. Minimum um, during the, oh, the most expensive admission at a minimum. And these admissions are based on time frames, by the way. Like November to January is the most expensive time to visit, apparently, for like the holiday Christmas. season. It's um, a minimum of $110 per person to tour the estate. I hate these people. It's another... I love covering the rich people that I hate. <laughs> it's another one. Um, uh, there have also been a bunch of movies and shows filmed here, like The Last of the Mohicans, Forrest Gump, Richie Rich, and Hannibal, which I'm like, where were they being filmed? I see on the ground. In the forest. Yeah, I guess so. So, now, on to something good. <laughs> Death on the property. Well, it's not da, good. Da, da. It's not good that people are dead, but to blame it on the Vanderbilts is what I would like to do. So, from the Asheville Times newspaper, July 17th, 1922. This is like direct quoting right from mm -hmm. the newspaper. It, it took a lot to type out. Okay, so. Lawrence West, 20, and Emery M. Lance, 24, of Asheville were shot and instantly killed and Price Sumner was probably fatally injured by bullet wounds received during an altercation while on the Biltmore Estate Sunday night about 11 o'clock. 
Special Deputy Sheriff Walter Brooks, guard on the Biltmore estate, is in jail without bond charged with the shooting. The tragedy occurred after West, Lance, Sumner, and two other men entered the estate near the Shiloh Gate, supposedly to avenge themselves upon Brooks, who had killed a dog belonging to Sumner last fall, while the dog was pursuing a deer on the Biltmore estate. Which, you know, I would definitely rally some people and I would go kill anybody who killed my dog. The, the best part of this, though, is that these boys did not go to kill this man. Mm-hmm. They wanted to beat him up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, I'm just like, oh, you guys are kinder than I. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Which, like, am I condoning beating somebody up? No. But am I condoning beating up someone who killed your dog? A hundred percent. We don't accept animal cruelty here. No. The coroner's jury, which conducted an, an inquest into the slaying today, returned a verdict that Emery Lance, quote, came to his death by a gunshot wound to the chest inflicted by the hands of Walter Brooks. Night watchman on the estate um, and that Lawrence West, quote, came to his death by a gunshot wound to the head inflicted by the hands of Brooks. After the investigation, Walter Brooks was returned to the county jail where he's being held without bond in connection with the death of the two men. The investigation started at 11 o'clock Monday morning in the chapel of Hare and Reynolds. And on account of the crowded chapel, was adjourned to the police courtroom. Final verdict of the jury was returned about 3 o'clock in the afternoon after Carl Murray and Fletcher Frady um, and James Taylor, Ranger with Brooks, and deputies Tilden Dillingham and Hub Duckett and Captain Williams of the police department had testified. Frady and Murray told practically the same story. Brooks did not appear for the inquest. Taylor's version. Okay. So this is Taylor, who was the man working with Brooks. Um, so James Taylor's testimony was as follows. I live on the Biltmore estate. For three years, I have been a ranger there. Um, I was at Biltmore yesterday about dark. The lights went out and I left the car and started for my home on foot. I met Brooks near the entrance of Biltmore Forest Park. He was going home. Brooks picked me up. This was about 10.30 o'clock. We were about to get out of the car at the double gate when we heard someone approaching in a machine, yelling and carrying on like a drunken crowd. I said, there is someone coming now, and I asked Brooks to go with me. We got out of the car and went in the direction to meet them. The party had stopped on a hill about 300 yards from us and were cursing, yelling, and saying, quote, we're hunting for that beep watchman i'm not gonna do a long beep because i will take too much time Mm -hmm. we went closer to the car (laughs) (laughs) they were still yelling some one of them said there he comes blank him let's get him another said hold on there's somebody with him we walked to the car they were in the they were in the road back of it Brooks walked in front of me. He said to them, boys, what are you doing here? One of them said, none of your bleep business. <laughs> Brooks pulled back his coat, showing his badge and said, quote, you see who I am. Which, first of all, get over yourself. You are a security guard. <laughs> Someone said, quote, bleep you. Um, Price Sumner said, quote, Brooks, you killed my dog, and bleep, I came down here to get even with you. I can do it in a fair fight. I then went up to Sumner and said, now, Price, we don't want to have any racket here. Stop this now and get in your car and get out of here. Sumner said, quote, I'm going to whip Brooks. (laughs) So Lance said, quote, yes, bleep him. I can whip him too. Lawrence West then said, "Uh, Price, 
go to it. I'm with you. I then said, no, boys, we don't want any trouble here. Brooks joined in. Yes, the best thing you can do is get in your machine and get out of here. I ain't going to fight none of you. The boys kept trying to get around me to get at Brooks. Brooks backed up to the bushes on the on the side of the road. They said, and then I said, boys, get in your machine and get out of here, for we don't want any trouble. Someone said, quote, all right. <laughs> and, then, and then Brooks had his gun in his hand, like, basically this entire time, I guess. Um, Brooks opens fire. Um, instead of going towards the machine, the boys went towards Brooks. At about that time, Brooks opens fire. Price Sumner fell. Lawrence West next fell. Emery Lance ran to the machine and fell on the running board, groaning several times. Um, no words were spoken by any of the fallen men. Quote, I never saw a gun on any of the boys. Sumner, before the shooting occurred, threw something back into the bushes. Lance had a piece of iron about 10 to 12 inches long. I found a small amount of whiskey in a quart fruit jar and some in, court can in a quart canteen. The boys were advancing on Brooks when he shot. Before the firing, Sumner said to me, quote, Jim, you can search me and see that I have no gun. Um, I am Brooks' second cousin, which I don't know if it was one of the the boys that was there that was Brooks' second cousin or if this is, like, one of the officers I think or somebody else testifying. Carl Murray who's giving the testimony. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, the testimony given by Carl Murray, who was later in the day located and brought to Asheville, was at variance with that of the ranger uh, murray said quote lawrence west came by biltmore and picked me up he went to skyland met emory lance or lane or lance i can't remember emory lance yeah um at his automobile shop he asked us to take him to arden and we did at arden we met price sumner he said quote lance let's go to biltmore and get supper at a cafe fletcher freddy was sitting nearby and we asked him to come along um Quote, we had a puncture near Busby and got out to fix it, then went to the Biltmore and turned off into the new development. West said, quote, let's go through here and then to Biltmore. This was about 7.30 o'clock. We stopped at the top of the hill and got out. Someone was fixing something about the car. Taylor and Brooks walked up. Taylor said, quote, what the bleep are you doing here? Sumner replied, just riding around. Brooks said, quote, you don't know me, do you? Sumner said, quote, yes, I ought to know you. You killed my dog. Brooks replied, well, what are you going to do about it? I would have immediately killed him right then. There's no way. <laughs> like, this guy's so terrible. Sumner said, quote, if you lay down that pistol, I will whip you. Mr. Taylor searched Sumner and said, quote, he hasn't got a gun. So Brooks backed off a few steps and then just began firing into the bunch. Quote, I ran about 50 yards down the road and sat down. Two men passed me and one of them was Sumner. I said, Brooks... I heard Brooks say, quote, I'll kill them all. Terrible man. Um, I assisted Sumner to the main road and put him on a bus. We went to the Biltmore Hospital where I left him and went for his wife. Then I went to Skyland to my sister's home. So officers answering the call of Deputy Sheriff Brooks after the shooting said that um, the cut-down car bearing the five men to the scene Sunday night also carried a canteen and a glass container, both of which had a small quantity of whiskey in them. That the five men under the influence of whiskey and bearing a and bearing a grudge uh, against the the special deputy for killing Sumner's dog last fall entered the estate for the purpose of beating up Brooks and is the opinion of the officers investigating that affair. It is said that the men drove into the Biltmore Forest grounds and took a small road leading past the Biltmore 
the Biltmore Forest Riding Club ring into the estate near the Shiloh Gate and called for Brooks. Brooks and Jim Taylor, a guard who has served on the estate over for 30 years, approached in a small touring car and inquired why the men were on the estate. Words were passed and the wrangle culminated in the shooting. None of the five men in the Sumner party had pistols. Brooks was eventually charged with second-degree murder. Oh, good. I wondered so how that was going to end. justice. Well, because everybody's like, it was just, like, young boys going to beat up this guard. Like, they weren't going to kill him. I know, like, going to beat someone up isn't good, but, like, also, he's the one with a gun. And yeah, there's yeah, no reason has he a gun, needs to be killing them. And he shot multiple then, people at yeah, he, once to death, murdered, not even at any. Yeah, he murdered the two and then really injured one he didn't die though he survived at the beginning they didn't know if he was going to survive that's why yeah. it said possibly yeah like po- that's probably that's fatally injured definitely using too much excessive force for sure yeah <laughs> especially when he's antagonizing the whole time that they're doing it like he's not being like calm down calm down calm yeah. down calm down calm down let's de-escalate let's talk about well, it that's I also did like he could have driven away in his little car yeah he could have <laughs> done a lot of things and instead he he wanted he wanted to he yeah. wanted to shoot him I mean, there's no reason you need to be sh- killing and shooting a dog because it's chasing a deer. Yeah, that's not... Yeah, anyway, so that's one of the deaths. It's unlikely the dog's going to take down a deer. It's one dog. <laughs> well, and, like, the reason that they were guards was they were appointed to stop poachers. Is he going to say the, the dog is a poacher? not a poacher. <laughs> anyway, that guy's trash and he deserved to go to jail. The only thing was, like, I was really looking up to find an article about when he was sentenced. I couldn't find anything. There was just, like, a random article that said he was eventually charged with second-degree murder. And I tried looking for it, but I couldn't find that. Um, So I'm hoping he actually did get charged with murder. Mm -hmm. And that's not just Mm -hmm. a tale. So here's the next death. On June 17th, 2022, a firefighter, Casey so sorry about that, was crushed by a tree while visiting Biltmore Estates. A tree fell in the family's rental car when they were passing through the archway on the Biltmore Estate. Uh, the limb broke off the tree and smashed the car's roof. You've got to see the picture of this before I continue. Oh my goodness. That's what it looked like after the freaking limb hit it. Just a... How big was this tree? This car looked like it was like in a rollover crash going down a hill and something fell on top of and it after that. And the roof got ripped off while yeah. going down. Yeah. Um, the limb broke off the tree and smashed the, the car's roof. They were there to celebrate his 46th birthday and Father's Day. His wife and two sons were also hurt. Um, this was allegedly during a period of high winds. The wife, Angela, filed a lawsuit and said that the tree was rotted and partially held up by cables. Angela said she is concerned about other trees she saw on the property and doesn't want a tragedy like this to happen to any of their families visiting Biltmore Estates. A storm had rolled in later in the day on June 17th, but the National Weather Service said there were no high winds at the time that the tree fell at 3.45 p.m. Uh-oh. That's just neglect. The Asheville Fire Department indicated incident report said that the temperature was 85 degrees and the winds were about 15 miles per hour at the time that they arrived, which was like 4 or something. 4.12, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the Village Hotel on Biltmore Estate says a judge should dismiss the wrongful death case, saying that the tree falling was, quote, act of God and nature. No, that's you deliberately not maintaining your trees in spaces where people are likely to be. If your car is there, you're likely to be there, because it's not like they, like, drove down into a gully. hmm <laughs> Let me show you the tree. Oh, that tree's blatantly ill. <laughs> Look at the bark that came off Painfully, that obviously not okay. Because that's her. She went back with the tree after filing the lawsuit. 
Yeah, that's um that I find that to be negligence on the part of them not maintaining their so um, the last thing I could find is that they were in like one of those pause things because they were exchanging information with each other Mm -hmm. for this lawsuit. So I don't know how that's going to turn out yet. Um, and then here's the latest. They have on the money April to pay 1st, 2023, they have more than enough money to pay it and they don't yeah. want to because why would you have to admit fault when you're rich? That's exactly. On That's April it. 1st, 2023, an employee of the Biltmore Estate was killed after a tree fell during a high wind gust. The tree fell on it, the 65-year-old woman, which, like, do you not understand? These Vanderbilts don't have to work a day in their life. A 65-year-old woman has to work at your estate because she doesn't have enough money to retire and live mm-hmm. her life. And she's killed by one of your trees that fell on her. Mm-hmm. She was walking along um, a walkway between a parking lot and the main house. Um, this was also where towards the estate's main entrance. So it's I'm not like it's a back, the back same thing kind where of area. people usually aren't. This uh-huh. is a main area, and they're not maintaining their trees. Well, this tree got fully uprooted. That means it was probably ill. Trees don't usually just fall over. I could be wrong. It could be a weird, so anyway, weird thing. If you'd, like to something be, was wrong then. if you'd like to be crushed by a tree, then you can pay $110 at Christmas time to go to this place. But I will not <laughs> ever go to this place. Thank you very much. Minimum. Minimum. That just gets you on the ground. Minimum. <laughs> Yeah, it's disgusting, these people. Like, I, you already have so much, and you've just got to have more. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't deal with that. So now we're on to the hauntings. So there's not too many hauntings, but when I found all the deaths, I was like, this has got to be covered. Audrey said, here's a great opportunity <laughs> for me to talk about rich people and how much I dislike them. <laughs> yep. So many visitors and staff members have told stories of hearing a voice whispering the name George repeatedly in the hallways. Ew. <laughs> they think it is the spirit of Edith who is wandering the halls and searching for her husband. Um, it was said that after his death, Edith, Edith would spend hours in the library talking to the spirit of her deceased husband. Oh. Um, is she who they based uh, <laughs> the new haunted mansion off of? <laughs> Maybe. Servants who maintained the library felt a sense of uneasiness and saw and would see him sitting in a chair at the corner of the room reading a book. The spirit of George has said to be seen all over the place, but he is most spotted in his beloved study surrounded mm-hmm. by his library books. Mm-hmm. Some people say that they only see a, a shadowy figure in the library when the skies are dark and there is an oncoming storm. And I said, maybe that's him telling you that someone is about to get crushed by a tree. <laughs> the property tree's about to go down yeah (laughs) warning warning um i don't think he'd be that nice i don't think so either um at night he's there to watch (laughs) he's like everybody look out this window we're about to see it i'm about to push this one (laughs) at night some of the staff reported hearing laughter glasses clinking um music and party like i love ghost parties i do too they're one of my favorite hauntings Most visitors report seeing spirits going up or down the stairs. They hear sounds of footsteps, and they have also reported uh, strange smells, which I don't know. <laughs> when you say strange smells, I'm thinking weird food smells. Like, I'm not thinking, like, food like, smells. It could be perfumes. Um, cold alcohol. spots and eerie feelings when people go up and down the stairs. Like, the stairs is, like, apparently just, like, a really active area. I bet you for sure cherry tobacco. Probably. But, uh, people are always smelling cherry tobacco in places they shouldn't so be smelling weird. cherry tobacco. Um, there were a few different articles that said a prostitute was murdered at the Biltmore, Biltmore Forestry School, um, as well as other people who were apparently executed by hanging inside the building, but I have no clue what this is about. I have, I could not find anything, but there were like two different articles that said it. And I was like, where are you finding this? 
I, That's I, so bizarre. So anyway, this could have happened and Biltmore oh, covered totally, it up. Totally. Because I looked for newspaper articles and everything, and then I'm like, maybe they scrubbed it. Anyway, so they are said to haunt this area, but they are never seen anywhere else on the property. Hmm. Um, so the indoor swimming pool is also said to be an active spot. The pool is now empty, but people have reported hearing splashing sounds and wicked laughter. Which I'm like, I told Drew, I was like, there's an empty pool and people here splashing. And Drew I hate goes, that no. so much. <laughs> I was like, that's great. And then this is a save the best for last. Um, it was not known if the family ever had a house pet. More than likely not because they're rich and they don't like to take care of other things. Um, but one of the most interesting ghosts is that of a headless orange cat who wanders the house from time to time. That's really upsetting that it's headless, but it's also sort of fun. Well, I, th- I was like, man, I love I, I love an orange ghost cat. But then I thought, maybe they're doing demonic rituals. You never know. You never know. Why is there a headless cat? Was one of them a serial killer? Because that's serial killer activity. It is serial killer. Anyway, that's my story of the Biltmore Estate. Don't visit it. Because why would you want to pay the rich to get more rich? The ghosts are sort of fun, though. The ghosts are fun. But you can find that I will find other places for you to visit. Here's the thing. Almost every other place we've ever covered, we've suggested going to because they seem fun. Yes. And have been forthright with their history if it was bad, Mm -hmm. usually. Um, And there's a lot of fun ones that aren't this place. Yeah, don't go here. Honestly, it sounds like it's cheaper to fly to the UK and visit one of those manor homes than go go to this manor home. I mean, were the people who built them any better? More than likely, oh, no. no. Not at all. But do I know about them? Also, no. Not yet. <laughs> they're also a lot older. And I say something a lot older is way more worth going to than something built in the 1800s. Late 1800s. In America. It's definitely like, what are their names? In Gravity Falls. The rich family. Uh, the Northwest. Yeah. It's definitely like them. They keep all the rich people outside of the gates. Mm-hmm. When they have their parties. Or all the poor people outside of the gates. Or, yeah, the poor people. They should be all the rich It should people. be the rich people. Anyway, that's my story. Um, try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.